listening to the Arsenal Rumble. Hello and welcome to the Arsenal Rumble. Community Shield winners yet again. Late drama at Wembley saw us clinch our 17th Community Shield by beating Manchester City 4-1 on penalties after an initial 1-1 draw after 90 minutes. Joining me as ever to go through this game is Dom. How are you, mate? Did you enjoy that one? Yeah, I really enjoyed that one. And to to finally get one over the uh, blue side of Manchester after what they did to us last season was uh, a really nice way to start the season, to be honest, because we've uh, now won two trophies in a week. So that's as much as you could ask for in terms of pre-season silverware to be able to get up to speed before we uh, kick off against Forest. But yeah, I really enjoyed that one, Dave. Uh, what about yourself? Yeah, no, I think if you take away the whole trophy thing, silverware thing, whatever. This game was all about sort of seeing how much we've bridged that gap between City. We've obviously made three big signings this summer and this was going to be a bit of a taster of what we can expect in the Premier League uh, and all the other competitions as well going forward against, let's face it, our, our biggest rival. And a team that actually beat us three times last season. Um, we didn't have much luck against them and... Um, ultimately with the inferior side in all three games. So, um, yeah, but then you, you, you look at it from a, a piece of silverware point of view and, and it's a, a great way to to get an early trophy. And I know a lot of people will say, you know, it's just a glorified friendly, blah, blah, blah. And, and yeah, it is a glorified friendly if you lose. But we didn't <laughs> lose, so it, <laughs> it's a massive trophy. Um, and, yeah, look, yeah, I'm buzzing. Um and it, it was also great to see those three signings that we've made in the summer start. Um, Kai Havertz uh, started up top. We had um, Urien Timber and Declan Rice starting. How happy were you to see those guys? Yeah, I was, I was really happy to see them them all start. And, and also as well, when you're saying about the silverware side of things and how it's not really that much of an important trophy, but from a team bonding kind of standpoint for these players that have just been brought into the team and they're just getting stitched together in their positions for them to come into a game and then feel like they've achieved something straight away is going to be massive for their confidence and massive going forward especially beating the team that has had one up over us over well so many seasons in uh, in recent times and we've finally being able to go toe-to-toe with this Man City team and uh, when we're not <clears throat> rolling over and just letting them beat us like we have done in previous seasons. So, yeah, it's going to be a massive confidence booster. And, um, yeah, seeing the likes of Declan Rice starting, Havert starting in a different position as well. He was starting up top. Um, I genuinely thought, and I think I said on the last podcast, that I thought um, Nketiah was going to start this game just because I, I felt like Arteta hadn't really experimented with anything other than that Jesus slash Inketia up top role. I thought maybe potentially Trossard in there, but I didn't genuinely didn't expect for Hazard Havertz to be rolled out into this game, especially. So um it was interesting to see how he he uh, performed up top. And um yeah the the new lad Timber at the in the left back position it was it was uh, nice to see a, a different outfit in that area as well instead of just the uh, the tyranny that we know. Mm. Yeah, like you say, with Kai Havertz up top, it, it makes you think, is he is he sort of thinking that Man City play in a similar way with their focal point being Haaland? And, and his idea to match that is to, to sort of 
have that ourselves with the big presence of, of Kai, who's, you know, what, six foot four himself. And, and actually, um, I didn't quite realise it until today, but he has got a significant amount of strength and can hold up the ball quite well. He can win it in the air and maintain possession. That is something that he brought a lot, especially in the first half. I saw that a fair bit from, from Havertz. So, you know, it's it's another option for him, for Ateta, isn't it? Um, with Kai up there. And, and it, it enables us to sort of match teams in that respect. Um, so, yeah, that is interesting. I think I was um, also preempting maybe a, a Trossard in, in a false nine position pre-game. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of glad we saw this because, it, again, it just shows us another avenue we can go in depending on our opponents. Um, but, yeah, moving on a little slightly. Um Going back to Timber, um, what did you think of his performance? Because for me, I thought he was absolutely phenomenal. I think he could play in any position in that back line at Excel, probably any in any position in the team. He just looked absolutely brilliant and, and just, you know, a jack of all trades, he was doing it all. Yeah, he really is a top tier footballer, isn't he? He's he's got everything. He he has a great first touch. He can bring the ball forward, and he's got a bit of skill about him as well. He, he, you see a few times that he's under pressure, and he'll just do a step over and then turn the other way and completely bamboozle the the player that's pressing him, and then manage to get half a yard of space and be able to either dribble past the player or get a pass off and um, start a new move. So he looks like he's just completely fitted in straight away no matter what position he's in if he's in right back left back uh maybe even centre mid he might fill in at some point centre back even uh he he's so strong he's deceptively strong because he he's not the tallest guy but he just muscles people off the ball um and he's a sort of player that we all thought that Tommy Asu would be that kind of utility player who can play anywhere and excel at it and Tommy Asu has been a really good player and he has been quite versatile, but ever since he's had these injuries, he's not been as physical as he was when he first came into the team. Um, but Timber really does look like that kind of play, a replacement player that we, we've all been asking for and yearning after. Um, it does beg the question when Zinchenko's fit, whether he comes straight back into the team um, or if we're going to start with Timber, just because of how excellent Timber has been playing since he's been in the team. Yeah. It's going to be a real dilemma for Arteta, isn't it? I mean, it's a good dilemma to have. Um, there's obviously the option of, of uh, using him on the right-hand side, where he's obviously more naturally um, used to and replacing Ben White. Um, but um, Sinchenko does still seem a little way off from being match fit. I know he's resumed training now um, as of late last week. So, you know, he's probably weeks away now as opposed to months. But um, I think from what I've seen today, I think it would be very surprising if we don't see Timber at left back on that first game against Forest in a week's time. I think uh, today's game showed that. And also, what does that mean for Tierney? Um, because he's quite far down the pecking order now, isn't he? Yeah, I mean, at the end of last season, he was already pretty far down the pecking order. And then since then, we've brought in an extra fullback. And we've also got Kivior, who's starting to get up to speed, who can fit into that position. So <laughs> it's not looking good for him, really, is it? You know, I feel like if we have Zinchenko, 
Timber, Kivior, and potentially even Tommy Asu, who can all fit in that role, then he's potentially fifth in the pecking order after all of those players. And um, it doesn't really look good for him. And I, I genuinely thought that Tierney was going to be heading for the exit door during this summer, but he does seem really determined that he wants to fight and uh, stay in this Arsenal squad. So I'm not really quite sure. But apart from the game today, if we're talking about the say the Monaco game he did look really uh, you know up for it and he was almost like he turned a corner and he was flying up the pitch and making some good passes etc but he follows that up with a performance which I know it's only a cameo performance later on in this game but he once Timber came on he looked a bit nervous he gave a few um silly silly uh, mistakes away and um, it's the sort of thing that we we can't really have in our back line no no I kind of completely agree to be fair I think if a, if a good bid comes in from a from from anyone really um then then I think we will seriously be considering it because I think he's so far down the pecking order now he sort of becomes surplus to requirements and if we're being completely honest you know I love Tierney he's, he's been a uh, a favourite of mine since he came um, but he just doesn't quite suit the way we play now and it's sort of fitting a square peg in a round hole with Tierney and I, I don't really think Arteta likes to do that um, evidence has shown that Arteta can be pretty ruthless with these with these sorts of decisions and I can't see Tierney lasting much longer uh, if I'm being completely honest and it also um, links to the, the Tommy Asu thing as well, which you, which you just mentioned. His injury record has been poor, and you know there's not a lot you can do about that. It's it's just unlucky, um, especially that the, the the injury he got against Sport in Lisbon, where he slipped and and did some ligament damage. It's just unlucky, but ultimately it's a player we couldn't rely on last season, and it cost us the league potentially. So mm-hmm. Arteta's right in, in being ruthless because we need players that we can rely on and get us over the line um, when we need it most. So, yeah, it's it's an interesting uh, area of the pitch to keep our eye on. Um, another um, sort of area of interest in the starting lineup is uh, is the goalkeeper, um, Aaron Ramsdale. He's been in the in the news a bit this week for various reasons, but um, fundamentally because of the fact that Arsenal are heavily linked with uh, Brentford's David Raya, um, who looks highly likely to be joining the Arsenal, uh, with Matt Turner looking very likely to be departing to Nottingham Forest. Um, sort of, first of all, uh, you know, what are your thoughts on this sort of swap? Um, because for me, initially, it seems like a massive upgrade. <laughs> Yeah, well, I think David Raya was probably one of the Premier League's best goalkeepers in general last season. I think he had one of the highest collections from corners records, one of the highest saving records. Um, So he's absolutely going to be an upgrade on second choice Matt Turner, who didn't really get many minutes under his belt. But then is that also going to be to the detriment of the deal? Because David Raya is going to want minutes. And that's something which we can't guarantee for a second string keeper. Um, everybody knows that most most teams have one first choice keeper and then a second choice keeper that comes in, you know, if absolutely necessary. But 
not many top tier teams rotate their keepers on a on a re, you know regular basis. Um, unless you do the Arsene Wenger thing, where you have one keeper play in the Prem and one keeper play in the cup competitions, this that's also an option. Um, <clears throat> but I feel like it would be good good competition for Ramsdale because you know he can be compl- um, you know start to be complacent in in recent times um, and just something that's because if you've got a, a, a if you've got a keeper like Matt Turner who he's not really going to displace Ramsdale from the team he hasn't quite got the ability with his feet uh, Ramsdale is going to know that and he's going to know that he's not ever going to be in jeopardy his his role in the team is always going to be that number one uh, and you know if you've got someone that's uh, chomping at the bit trying to get into the team and training every week and really pushing and that can do all the things that you can do then it's really going to fill him with a little bit of fear almost so that he doesn't make as many mistakes, which sometimes are what were costing us at the end of last season. You know, the the little short passes which get cut out and end up for chances for the other team. Um, I think, was it in the West Ham game right at the end of last season um, where we he made a really, really silly pass at the back? And, um, you know, just concentration. There was a few times today, actually, where concentration almost um, were to his de- detriment as well, where, you know, there was a pass back, which he miscontrolled, almost went into a home net and uh, Haaland almost uh, ended up charging that one down. There was a chance from Rodri, I think. He had a shot from the halfway line whilst Ramsdale was right outside his 18-yard box and then he had to rush back and I think the ball just went over the top of the net and I think if it dipped underneath, Ramsdale wasn't going to get there. So, you know, just keeping him alert and keeping him on his toes so that there is another keeper that could potentially step in if he does end up making these mistakes. I think from a uh, from a money point of view, it makes complete sense because if we get a fee for Turner, you're thinking maybe 12 to 15 mil. And if we get Raya for 25 to 27 million, then it's an investment of about £10 million and you're getting a top-tier quality keeper who can step in if anything goes wrong with Ramsdale. So for me, I'm happy with it. I was literally just about to say the same thing. I mean, it's a market opportunity at the end of the day, isn't it? Um, I think, you know, if if Raya was going for his true market value, they would be getting north of that £40 million that they were demanding for him at the start of the um, transfer window. Ultimately, he's got a year left on his deal. We've now managed to persuade him that, you know, this is the the place to be, um, which has significantly lowered the um, fee uh, because ultimately it's either Arsenal or he goes for three in a year's time. Uh, Brentford now know that and we're capitalising on it. And ultimately, like you say, it could be a difference of of £10 million to massively upgrade our keeper uh, situation and it's going to like you say keep um, Ramsdale on his toes and it will likely improve him it'll make him train harder it'll make him aware that any little slip up can result in his number one place being um, taken mm. from him um, and likewise the other way around for David Raya he knows it's not you're not guaranteed to be number one here you've got to fight for it and that, that's only going to benefit Arsenal because you can have two hungry keepers fighting for that, for that number one jersey. So yeah, I think it's a great move. Yeah, I completely agree, and I think we've got to ourselves got ourselves to a point now where pretty much every position in the team 
we have competition for positions, which is something which we didn't have last season. We had it in a, a few different positions, but say like right back, if Ben White's fit, he's in the team, whereas now he's got Timber, who could potentially come in and step in. Left back, Zinchenko's fit, he was playing. But then now, obviously, we've got Timber, Tommy Asu, Tierney, potentially, if he's in form, that could step into that role, um, who was completely out of favour of last season. And then, you know, centre mids, you've got jo- the likes of Jorginho, Rice, um, Partey, Havertz, and uh, even Smith-Rowe can step into those roles, Vieira. And we've got so many different options now, which means that players know that they've got to perform or else their spot is up, is up for someone else. Um, I think the only position where we don't have a like-for-like switch is that right-wing position. But mm. luckily, our right-wing is always going to perform, <laughs> always seems to perform anyway in Bukayo Saka. But um, it, it was interesting talking about that centre-forward position as well, um, where Havertz played today, because he did actually start off with getting a few decent opportunities, didn't he? Um uh, the first first of the two was Ben White storming down the right-hand side, cuts in, makes a really good run, and then cuts it back to Havertz, which he is just behind him, and he uh, manages to gather the ball and get a shot off, and, and but for a good stop, ends up getting saved. But the, the second opportunity of the two is the one which you think that he should definitely bury. And this is the one where Saka burns down the right-hand side, cuts the ball back, and he's literally on the Peno spot. And it's a really tame effort. He, he, he could he could take a touch with this. He could leather it. He could do so much more with this. And this is the sort of thing that we saw from Havertz when he was in a Chelsea shirt in the number nine position for Chelsea. These sort of opportunities which went a-begging. And in a normal Premier League game, you've got to bury these kind of opportunities, don't you? You do, you do. Um, and uh, yeah, like you said, it is sort of typical of what we've seen from, from Havertz at Chelsea. And I think it's now time for Arsenal to iron that out of his game. And ultimately, this is his first competitive de- debut for Arsenal. We're not going to see these these sort of flaws in his game ironed out straight away. It is going to take time. I think the positives that we can take out of this situation is the fact that he's getting into these positions. You know, that that is what we wanted from a player like Havertz, we wanted someone to arrive at the box at the right time to get on the end of these um, these cutbacks, essentially, because that is what Ben White does. He, he you know, he, he bombs forward at times, creates that overload, and creates the space for whoever's get, getting arriving in the box at that time. So, you know, it, yeah, it was frustrating. The first one, you know, I, I think he did well to get the shot off because it was behind him a little bit, and you know, I think if that was just tucked, you know. A, to the, in the corner a little bit more. That's a goal, but he, he did well to get it on target in the first place due to the to the awkward angles. Um, but yeah, the second one got to be burying that one. And I, I think he, he will uh, in time. I think those those sorts of finishes will will come eventually. Um, but it was quite frustrating, really, because for for large spells of that first half, we didn't have much of the ball. I think it was it was thirty five percent possession in that first half, something along those lines. So. We didn't have much of the ball, but despite that, we were the team that created two big chances. Um, they didn't create anything. I, you know, mm-hmm. Saliba absolutely had Haaland in his back pocket for that first half. You know, absolute Rolls Royce performance. I thought he was phenomenal today. Um, they, you know, they weren't doing a lot 
with the ball. Their XG was 0.08, I think, for that first half. They they weren't creating anything, and we were. Um, so that was the frustrating element that we couldn't take these chances because we know that you don't get too many against City. Mm. Yeah, we finally got to see the full head-to-head of Saliba versus Haaland, didn't we? Because we've seen little glimpses of it where um, he's been brought on second half like we did in the Cup earlier this year. Um, but we finally got to see them properly matched up together. And it was such a great, great battle really between the two because there was one time where Haaland got played through and it was a, a foot race between Saliba and Haaland going to the corner. And you just saw these two absolute giants with, with masses amount of pace. And they're going, you know, toe to toe. Neither of them is beating the other one. And I think Haaland just gets there ahead of Saliba, but Saliba does enough to usher him away from the goal, which, you know, if that's Rob Holding, then he's going to be two or three paces behind Haaland and then they're going to have a chance on goal. So it just shows you how incredible Saliba is and how how even when he knows he's not going to win a foot race, he knows what to do to be able to usher a player out of of, uh, a dangerous area, Um, which is something which... He did throughout the whole game. Uh, I think there was another opportunity where Kovacic glides through two or three of our players and he's making a stormy run into the box. And then you just see the big Frenchman Saliba step across him, guard the ball and just usher it out. And, and Kovacic has no chance of getting around him. It's just a wall of William. There's there's nothing he can do. And um, mm-hmm. he's... I think, and I know I said this in the last podcast, but he's definitely getting into the echelon of a world-class centre-back. And I don't think there's many other players in the Premier League or in the world that can match his kind of potential. No, uh, you know, I, I was I was listening to a, an interview between Rio Ferdinand and Zinchenko the other day, and they were talking about uh, Saliba, and they were comparing him to Rafael Varane. And um, Zinchenko, I think Rio Ferdinand asked Zinchenko, he said, do you think Saliba's better than uh, Varane? And he was just like, without a doubt, without a doubt. Um, yeah. The, the composure, yeah, the, the composure of Saliba uh, in these situations. Like you said, it, it was a, a bit of a scramble, wasn't it, with the Kovacic, him driving into the box like that. In years gone by, we'd have probably stuck in a challenge, stuck out a leg and, and considered a penalty or something of that ilk. But now... He's got the the composure just to sort of use his weight, use his body, and just usher it out um, for a goal kick. You know, it, it's clever, it's simple but clever, um, and that's what you need from your centre back. It's not always about um, rushing into challenges at times. It's just about you know staying calm and composed. A little bit like what we've seen from Van Dijk over the years. Um, he, he's, he, he's never rash, is he? He never seems to give away stupid penalties and things like that. Um, and that can be the difference in these games. So, um, mm. absolute brilliant performance from him. Yeah, I don't think there's too much else to, to talk about in this first half, really, is there? It was, um, we've sort of summed it up brilliantly, I'd say. It was a, a case of a lot of possession for City, two big chances for Arsenal. Um, and it, it really wasn't until later on in the second half where we started to turn the tides a little bit. It was us with the ball, Arsenal with high possession and um, started to carve out a few chances. But um, ultimately, we couldn't seem to to, to create anything from these chances. And um, we, we ended up conceding in the 77th minute. Mm-hmm. Foden turned party. 
who was sort of trying to press um, to to release a little bit of, of pressure on the team and to create that chance, but um, pressed really, really high and got turned really, really easy. Um, Foden then runs the full length of the pitch, it seems, spilled it out to De Bruyne, I think it was. It took a little bit of a, a sort of a nick off Tierney, which in my opinion, didn't really deal with it effectively. Lands to, to Cole Palmer, the um, the England under-21 player, and um, finished well. Uh, didn't really give Ramsdale much of a chance, did he? No, not at all, really. And um, like you said, it does all stem from party rushing forwards and getting turned by Foden. Um, I think the idea from party is the correct idea if everyone else is on board with it. But I think when party rushes forward, he then leaves his space exposed and nobody then stepped into that space. Um, so if you're, if that tactic is going to work, you need to have either Saliba or Ben White or someone just to fill in that area whilst he goes forward. But nobody ended up doing that. So you know, he overcommitted. Foden, to be fair to him, does roll him really well. He, he just, you know, rides the challenge and spins around him. And then he's he's got 20, 30 yards of clear open space to run into. And uh, like you say, from then on, you, you, you've got too many players on that side versus just Tierney. And I, I do think he could have done better. I do think Tierney, but I think because he's backpedaling and he's trying to position himself 2v1 on that side, there's not really, you know, there's a lot going on for him at that time, but maybe he could have just leathered it like he usually does into, into the crowd or done something else apart from put it into De Bruyne's path. But um, yeah, as soon as Cole Palmer's got that ball in that area and it's an unbelievable finish, you've got to take your hat off to him. Um, Ramsdale's not getting anywhere near that. And I think you've you just got to give it to sloppy misjudgment from Partey who otherwise had been really impressive in the game up to, up until then and in fact i was a little bit disappointed from from the for party in that moment because he was having probably one of his best games in a while up until that moment i'm just about to say the same thing i thought party was was having a great game and he did have a great game you know we can't just let one little moment cloud our opinion of his performance because i do think we're starting to see the the first half of the premier league party last year um which is brilliant because that is that is a, a game changer, um, especially when you've got a player like Rice as well in the team. Um, so yeah, it, it's unfortunate. Um, like I say, I, I do think Tierney could do better. I think it's it's his body positioning. He's very awkward with the way he um, he sort of stands up to balls. Sometimes he's very like dominant with his left foot, and I think that affects his positioning, and it almost makes him go at it the, the wrong way. Um, and I think what adds to the sort of frustration a little bit more is the fact that Timber had only just gone off um, who had that mm. sort of left-hand side on absolute lockdown. They, were, they weren't getting any joy down there. The sort of a couple of minutes after Timber goes off, that happens straight away and you can't help but think, oh, you know, if only Timber just stayed on a little bit longer. But um, yeah. I don't think we can blame him too much. It's just um, it's just sort of unfortunate with the, with the party uh, issue pressing so high, but that, that came from good intentions. The, the press was working and, and we were dominant in that period and we were just trying to capitalise when, when we needed to. 
Oh yeah, a hundred percent. And and how many times do you see us, you know, create opportunities after a player like Partey or Xhaka last season would push high up the high up the field, win the ball in that area, pop it out to Saka, then all of a sudden we've got a chance on goal. Um, so I, I think it's just it's it's a bit of rustiness from the whole back line to be honest because they should be pushing up when as soon as they see party go for that they should be pushing up and uh, filling in his space but that's something which they're going to look though I'm sure they'll look at before the season starts and uh, hopefully get back to uh, <clears throat> back to ironing that out of the game but um yeah unfortunate way to concede and after we had conceded it didn't really look like we were given a, a quick reply, were we? We couldn't really create any opportunities and nothing seemed to be going our way, did it? It seemed to deflate the team massively, which to a degree I get. You know, it's the 77th minute. You, you know, there's not a lot left. You, you kind of think, oh, have we just thrown it away right at the death? Well, not the death, but, you know, near the end. Um, but, yeah, we, we just didn't seem to threaten... Um, more chances were sort of falling to City. Um, to be honest, we, we had to see two brilliant saves from Ramsdale. Um, one was who was it? I think it was Foden that went through, and he sort of managed it goes through his legs, but it clips his back heel on the way in and just sort of narrowly goes past the post. A bit mm. fortuitous, if we're being honest, um, but a save nonetheless, and also uh, a real clever corner from City. Um, De Bruyne swings it in, I think, and Rodri sort of creeps in at that uh, front post and um, drives a, a low header. Um, Ramsdale reads it quite well, and, and that was a, a brilliant save, to be fair. Um, these are two massive saves, actually, it, that, you know, in the context of the game, because the, if any of those goals go in, the deflation doesn't just become deflation, it becomes sort of um, give-up time, uh, if we're mm. being honest. Um, and... Yeah, that, that those saves kept us in the game and, and kept us with belief that we could get something from this game. Yeah. And um it's a bit it was a big day for Ramsdale actually. I know we talked about him a little bit before, but we, we had Gareth Southgate in the stadium watching. Um we had the David Raya situation. Even David Raya was in the stance. I've seen that he's been pitched <laughs> in the stance. <laughs> so he's got that pressure on him. Um you know, he's got um a lot of fans, Arsenal fans and opposition fans, questioning whether he should be the number one keeper right now. Um, the other day, he steps up, saves the the, the winning penalty um, to, to give us the Emirates Cup. Yes, I know it's pre-season, but that's been a stigma around Ramsdale's um, ability for a while that he cannot save penalties. He's, you know, he's, he's proven that he mm. has got this ability when the pressure is on. So, Really big day for him, and I'm glad that um, throughout that little stint of pressure, um, he was able to come out on top. Yeah, I, I think the stigma that comes with Ramsdale is the fact that he, the, the reason why fans get on his back is he is, you know, he gives opportunities to opposing teams sometimes through his own mistakes, through his misjudgment of passing, uh, and things like that. But people forget that he's an incredible shot stopper at times. And he does keep us in games like this one today. Uh, so often, the, if you think back to a lot of our late winners that we had at the end of last season, there were so many times where he would he would be, you know, 
peeling balls around the bar and, and just keeping us in the game so that we have the opportunity to actually win that game where it would have been dead and buried if it weren't for him. So, you know, we can't forget about his contribution to the team, but if he can just iron out those silly little passing mistakes and uh, misjudgments, then um, he would be, well, one of the best keepers in the league. If he's if he's not already one of the best keepers in the league, which I think he probably is getting into that echelon um, of, of keepers. But... Um, yeah, we we really weren't creating anything at all. Um, so it was time to hit our panic button, which we we used to have panic buttons in the past. You know, uh, a defensive panic button used to be the Roberto Haldini, but our new offensive panic button seems to be Leandro Trossard. And wow, does this little magician deliver! I, I know that the uh, the goal that ended up coming from him didn't actually you know it, it wasn't all to do with him there's a couple of deflections but he gets the ball on the corner of the box in the 100th minute of uh, extra time and uh, he, he takes a shot which then nicks takes a deflection wrong foots the goalkeeper and then just kind of p-rolls over the line into the net and something really has to be said about Leandro Chossard because I genuinely think this man is the most informed player in this whole Arsenal squad. Um, and I don't know if it's because of how he's doing that thing that Emil Smith-Rowe did over the last couple of seasons where he's so impactful from the bench. So is it worth having him as a starter or is he such a good super sub that that's the position that we should be playing him in? Well, first of all, I 100% agree. I do think he is the most informed player in this team. And I think if it wasn't for the opposition today and and for the reasons why I stated earlier with the fact that we wanted to go with that bigger player that could be a bit of an outlet um, when we needed, because we know how City play. They press and press and press, corner you into your own final third, wait for you to make a mistake and capitalise. We had habits to be able to have an outlet to get rid of that and we did use it at times, and it worked well. Um, so replacing him with a Trossard doesn't give you that option, although it would give you other options which will work in other games. So I think we will see Trossard a lot this season. I think he's going to be. I think this is going to be a really big season for him. Um, I think he's going to score a ton of goals. Um, we saw him create a lot last season. It was mainly assists, wasn't it? But I think he. He's probably the best finisher in this Arsenal team, um, you know, and he's not even a, an out-and-out striker. So that's saying something for me. I, you know, I think I think if, if we can get him into the team, he'll be there. And with Jesus' injury, it would not surprise me if we see him starting that false nine that he, he, he featured in a fair little bit last season. So, so are you keen to see him start as a nine then rather than uh, starting over Martinelli? Yeah, because I think Gabby's grown into this preseason. I think we're starting to see his his true form now. I think he did really well in this game. He caused Walker a lot of problems and he actually managed to beat him a few times, um, which is no mean feat. You know, Walker does not get beat very often. Um and, you know, I think Gabby's only going to grow more and more into form now. And yeah, I think you can play them both, you know, and, and why not? If Jesus is fit then, you know, then Obviously, it's a different story, but I think we have to get Trossard in. And if it's not there, can we get him in that left eight position against maybe 
certain opposition, maybe a, a bottom 10 opposition where we can afford to be a little bit more adventurous in um, in midfield and, you know, maybe play one of party and Rice, not both. Um, but, you know, it goes back to what we said in previous podcasts. It's all about options now. We've got the versatility to be able to chop and change depending on our opponents. And I don't think we're going to see a standard 11. We're going to see various teams that are all super capable and fully equipped for the opposition that we're going to play against. So, yeah, I, I just think that we'll see Trossard uh, mm. depending on our opponents, you know. And yeah, and it's important to remember as well that with the squad depth that we have now, you know, we, we have game states like today where you're looking at the bench and you've you've got the likes of Trossard to come on, Smith Rowe can come on uh, and change the game, Vieira can, you know, do his bit as well. Uh, you've got lots of different options of players which are going to be able to help and change the game. Whereas last season we were looking at the bench and we had, you know, Reese Nelson. I know he did end up famously changing the game in one of the matches. But, you know, before that, you weren't looking at him to be a, a game changer, really, were you? And there wasn't much scope for, for being able to get back into these games. So it, it's it's incredible to be able to have this, this uh, wealth of depth of attacking threat as well. And even just changing up the systems and uh, changing, you know, if we've got, two defensive midfielders on, we can bring a couple of more attacking midfielders on in Smith-Rowe and Vieira just to bring more creativity to the whole team. But I do feel like we were a bit lucky in this game to, to get back into it, but you've got to ride your luck sometimes. And um, something that I do like about Trossard is he does take the chance. He does always, when he's in the position to shoot, he will have a shot instead of always trying to fashion the perfect pass into the perfect area to then put it on a plate for someone. Sometimes he just has a pot shot. And as we know in football, you can get deflections and, and things can happen. And then that brings you level and all of a sudden you've got a chance to win the game. So it's just, it's incredible to have a player like that in the team that will actually take those opportunities. So uh, what did you yeah. think about the penalties then? You know, it's always a bit nervous when, when the Arsenal boys take penalties. So so how did you feel about them? Well, first and foremost, um, a lot of people were ridiculing the penalties in pre-season, weren't they? Saying, oh, what a waste of time this is. What's the point, you know, in taking penalties? It's a bit like a, a kid's game. But ultimately, we've we've had two um, penalty shoots out. One against uh, United, which we lost, and another one against Monaco, uh, which we won. Um and these games have equipped us with confidence and sort of given us a little bit, especially for Ramsdale, you know, who made his first ever penalty save against Monaco. Um, but also for players like Vieira, who missed against United, but then slotted a really good one away against Monaco, and then slotted an absolute brilliant one away again today. So the fact that we've practiced these penalties um, and sort of tried to emulate a little bit of a competitive um, environment in pre-season has potentially given us our first trophy of the season um, so I'm super glad that we've done that uh, in pre-season and um, yeah I, I think if you were to look at all four of our penalties um, with Odegaard, Saka Trossard and Vieira they were all top well to be fair Saka's was a little bit scuffy if we're being totally honest um, but uh, he got away with it but all of them were 
you know, brilliant. And um, didn't really give the keeper much of a chance to save. Yeah, and that that is something which might be up for discussion um, in the near future with Saka's penalties because he has looked quite inconsistent in recent times and even today, as you say, a bit of a scuffy penalty. So with all of our other players, you know, putting it away excellently, it, it wouldn't surprise me if we started to see potentially Captain Odegaard taking penalties or if, if he's on the pitch, Jorginho as well. Um, but yeah, Saka is starting to worry me because I, when he went on that run of you know scoring six or seven in a row and not missing any, I felt like he was always going to score. But now whenever he steps up, to, even today, even when he stepped up to the ball, I just did not feel confident. I didn't think he was going to slot it away. I thought he was going to... Because he, he seems to either like roll it one side or the other. He doesn't quite have a... A technique where he can like put it top bins, but um, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> that is something which could be up for debate. But it just shows you that Man City haven't been practicing their pens, have they? <laughs> because Rodri's was absolutely shambolic. <laughs> um, you know, uh, I know Ramsdale saved it, but that is as easy as a penalty save as you're ever going to get, uh, if we're being totally honest with that one. Um, because that was awful. De Bruyne's, um, Obviously, he missed it. It wasn't saved. So, um, you know, it's just one of those. Um, yeah, you know, there's not much more to say to it other than um, I'm just glad we've, we've got this win um, for the confidence. You know, the penalties for me, you know, if we're looking um, sort of respectively, didn't really mean anything if I take away the whole community shield thing. I think I personally think we went toe to toe with City today. Um, and yes, we did get lucky at the end. Um, so there is an element of luck that has, that has got us the 1-1 the draw. But I think we went toe-to-toe to them. It's evident that that gap has been bridged to a degree. Um, I do think the games against them this season will be a hell of a lot closer, um, especially when we get some of our players like Declan Rice up to, to match fitness and things like that. We didn't even have Jesus playing today. Um, you know, So there's still... Still, areas that are only going to get better uh, as the season goes on, and um, yeah, I'm just happy that we finally got rid of this stigma because I think it was eight or nine games we'd lost to City in a row. So the fact that we've we've sort of cancelled that off um, to start the season can only be good, and it can only give us confidence. Yeah, yeah. Just touching a little bit on Declan Rice as well today. Um, I think he was one of our quieter performance performers, just because of um, you know it, it was more of the the wide players which got involved. But there were so many opportunities where he would be doing the dirty work really well. Um, you'd see players breaking past him, and he was busting a gut to get back in. He, he's got quite a quick acceleration over, uh, you know, five or ten yards to be able to get back and dive in and win the ball back. But um, it's great to see that he can get back and then turn over the ball and then quickly progress it to go forward again as well. So um, a quiet performance from him, but he made some really tidy challenges, and you can you can really see that. You know, he's still getting red in the face by about 55, 60 minutes. So he's not fully fit yet. But, um, you know, that's going to that's gonna come quick, come with time, isn't it? 100%. Yeah, he's, he's certainly a few weeks behind the rest of the team. I, I also thought Kai Havertz as well looked like he wasn't quite match fit. He also looked quite fatigued. And I was quite surprised that he didn't go off earlier 
because um, it's quite mm. evident from 60th minute that he was blowing. And I thought that's when Trussard should have been introduced. Um, but um, yeah, there's, there's still time. Sinchenko's got to come back as well. So we've got that to bring into this team. Maybe there's going to be more reinforcements. Who knows? Um, so this team could be elevated even more. And obviously, there's also the, the potential for outgoings. We'll have to wait and see. Um, yeah. But yeah, there's still plenty to look forward to. Yeah, for certain. And um, talking about potential outgoings as well, we'll, we'll just touch on this um, because it's happened today. But following Balligan, um, somebody who was maybe dubbed to be one of our strikers for this season, seems absolutely hell-bent on leaving the club because he put on an Instagram story today, um, basically shining light on the uh, Ronaldo Nazario when in his interdays and then another picture of a different Inter Milan player as well, um, just kind of glorifying them. Uh, with all the rumours of him potentially going to Inter Milan and then making a bid for him, do you think he's just trying to whip up a storm to be able to lower his price so that he can make this move? I think he's just trying to put pressure on Arsenal, uh, essentially, which is what I really don't like. He's very, he's just essentially twerking for Inter Milan, isn't he? He's doing a mudrick, you know, um, and <laughs> I, I, I don't like it. I think it's really cringy. Um, you know, it was only a few months ago he was putting that little egg timer on his Instagram story as well, wasn't he? I just find it really Cringe. unprofessional, uh, to be honest. And um, yeah, I, th I think he should be fighting for his place at Arsenal and not talking about his future. He's come out saying that he feels that thirty-five million is is adequate money, and, and that Arsenal are pricing him out of a move. Um, but <laughs> it was only uh, a few weeks ago that he put on his on his Instagram story that he was the most expensive. Um, USA forward of all time or something on those lines so he's in one sense saying that he's he's mega expensive and then in another sense saying that he should be going for 30 million it's like that that is not your market value we will not be forced into to accepting fees below our market value this is what we've done in the past and we have been bullied mm. and we have not got players we've not got money for players that we deserve um yeah. There's something about the Italian league where they just really like to lowball you, don't they? And sort of strong arm you into making these deals. Um, but no, we should be getting top money for him. And we should also be getting sell on clauses and buyback clauses like every other club seems to do when they sell to Italy. Um, just to secure our um, prospects if he turns out to be this world class player. But, you know, it's difficult. Yeah, and he's he's an asset at the end of the day. You know, players that are brought up in the academy, we've put loads of money into them um, in terms of training through the academies and um, getting them out on these loan spells and things like that. So why should we sell him for what you know less than what he's worth? You've got the likes of Mudrick that we mentioned before. If if Shakhtar wanted to make a quick sale to us, then they could have just sold him for eighty mil. Um, straight away because that's you know some, what we were offering around that kind of time um, but they didn't they held on and held on and we shouldn't get bullied like they didn't get bullied and hopefully AC Milan come in for an offer which is twice the price and gazump uh, <laughs> into Milan uh, like Chelsea did to us but I find that highly unlikely but I, I, I'm of the view of if a player doesn't want to stay and fight for their position at the club even if 
they're not guaranteed minutes, which, you know, in this Arteta team, nobody's really guaranteed minutes. If that player doesn't want to stay or doesn't want to fight for the club, they should be allowed to go, but it should be for an acceptable price. So I think for me, anything north of 45 million, it, it would be acceptable. And um, at, like you say, maybe a sell-on clause um, to get future <laughs> future investment coming through for him. But um, yeah, that's my view on Balogun. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I think he just needs to be a bit more mature about the situation and be a bit more professional. We've had players in the past, um, like Leno, for example, who lost his place in the team. Uh, he wanted a move, but throughout the whole process, remained completely professional. Got his move eventually to Fulham. Mm. But let's be honest, a low fee. Um, and so we still facilitated that move eventually um, for far less than his market value. Um, he just needs to be more of a pro. Um, I think uh, he's got a bit of a chip on his shoulder and I'm not sure we really want that at Arsenal. Um, ultimately, I think no. it's the right time to sell. We, we, he is surplus to requirements as well at the end of the day. Yeah, it's, it's the wrong mentality to have, isn't it? To be entitled to minutes. You know, it, it, it seems like he would be a bad egg in the squad if he, he starts to be benched for two or three games in a row and he might start to stink the place out when you don't really want that. I, I seem to remember, was it Maitland-Niles as well who's, who did the egg timer thing? Um, and and then he put that emotional Instagram thing that one time, basically saying that he wasn't playing and he wanted to get a move away and and... It just does not look, does it doesn't reflect good on the player or the club, really, does it? It's just a bit embarrassing uh, for all parties included, and it's not going to help the situation. Exactly, yeah. And we all saw how that ended for Maitland Niles. You know, it resulted in loan after loan after loan, failed loan after loan. After loan. Um, so, you know, um, yeah, don't like it. Hopefully, we were can just part ways and um, use that money to reinvest somewhere where it's more needed in the squad. Okay, um, I think we've just about done everything for the for the game. Is there anything else that you want to um, touch on? No, I can't think of anything from today. I just want to say, you know, that I'm absolutely buzzing that we've finally got one over on City, uh, the team that's had one over on us all of last season. And it feels like we've got a bit of silverware that justifies our performance from last season. Yeah, man. Yeah, it's great to be back. Great to be uh, podcasting about brilliant wins against Man City. Um, And yeah, here's to to many more. Um, Next podcast we've got is Saturday the 12th of August, which is going to be our opening Premier League game against Nottingham Forest. We are at home. That's a 12.30 kickoff. Um, So hopefully we'll get a podcast out later that day. Um, So, yeah, please tune in for then. And uh, that's all from us. Take care. Take care. You're listening to the Arsenal Ramble.